Welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast. My name is Amit Paul, and today I get to speak to. Uh, it's always fun to do these types of things because we've we've gotten to work together um, for quite intensely, I would say, uh, for for a year, and we got to co-create something together. Uh, and so there's a there's a certain way that I know you uh, that, um, and there are many, many ways that I don't know you at all, uh, which is uh, curious. So I'm, I'm very happy to meet you in this context. Mark Milton, welcome. Thank you, Amit. I'm also uh, happy to get to meet each other um, in, in another context and uh, discover new things uh, in, our, in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the invitation. So I think we will be talking about um, listening and presence and leadership and new ways of leadership. And we'll be talking about it in a, for sure, in a context of, of uh, well, I think that it's the first con- thing that touches sports that I've, that I've had on this podcast, actually, uh, even though we've done almost 200 episodes. So, um, and I will, anyways, I will start like I always do. Um, with the hardest question, I think, out of all of them, um, who are you, Mark Milton? <laughs> who am I? Actually, I remember uh, the, pro- the project we, we worked together on uh, was the spirit of humanity in Iceland, and that was one of the deep questions in the spirit of humanity, asking mm-hmm. the leaders who invited uh, the simple question, who are you? and actually asking that question five or six times and going deeper and dim- deeper. So maybe I'll, I'll just answer from a um, perspective where I imagine your, your uh, listeners uh, can connect to. Uh, uh, so uh, who, who, who am I? So um, I'm, um, I'm a soul who's been living on this planet uh, for over 60 years. Um, and uh, I'm, I've always been passionate since I've been a teenager uh, about human relationships. How, how, does, how do human relationships work? What, what creates um, connection? What disconnects? And, uh, what, um, and the relationship to, to my own connection with myself? Because what I've discovered is actually um, I can't offer a better relationship to anybody else than the quality of the relationship I'm offering to myself, which is why self-awareness is a, has always been a passion for me. And um, otherwise, I was born in England, Swiss father, sorry, Swiss mother, and a Swiss uh, an English father. I've actually become Swiss since the beginning of this year. I had a British passport until then. But I live in Switzerland mm-hmm. for many, since I moved to Switzerland actually when I was a, when I was a kid, when I was seven exactly. And um, and everything I've been doing in my life has really been related to this notion of connection, listening, relationships, and I'm. I'm very happy to be uh, the father of two sons who are uh, 32 and 28 years old. And uh, so probably going into a 
phase where um, I hope I'll learn the beauty of being a grandfather. Mm. Hmm. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't, but I get this, I get curious about um, the, like some sort of chronology or like how, how you came to do what you do now, which I know a little bit about and the listener knows nothing about. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Maybe, maybe before explaining maybe a little bit, I don't know how deep you want to go. So I'll, I'll, I'll share, you know, some of the big milestones. You maybe get a perception of chronologically where, where, what I've gone through, but maybe before <clears throat> one more thing I maybe want to add in your first question which is uh, this passion for human relationships has actually always been driven by um, the intention of feeling called to contribute to mm. uh, a more peaceful world where human beings um, actually uh, are able to discover ways of being more in harmony with ourselves and with others. That's really been my deep calling since I've been, since I was young. So, yeah, as I mentioned, so I was born in England. Moved, I moved to Switzerland actually in 1969. And um, yeah, maybe I'll share, you know, that's probably one of the big events in my life, which uh, influenced uh, my life was the loss of my mother. I was actually nine when my uh, my mother um, passed away. So I, I lived a childhood as a, a child who didn't have that um, secure attachment, which we ca can live uh, with, with uh, parents. Uh, and um, Something happened to me when, when, when my mother passed away, which led me to ask myself questions uh, about life, relationships, uh, which really um, shaped my way of understanding life and observing life. And um, I... I was, uh, I wasn't, my, my path wasn't studying. It wasn't going to university. I, if I, I could have, because I was a good skier, <laughs> paradoxically, because the U.S. Mm. Uh, universities, uh, like people are good at sports, but academically, uh, probably because I, I lost my mom, I, I didn't have the, the mindset that the, concentration that it requires to do uh, high-level studies. So I, I became active in life very young. I actually became a ski teacher when I was 16 and had the amazing opportunity to be director of a, ski, a small Swiss ski school when I was 18. And, uh, and I, I worked in the field of business until the age of 32. Um, in, in the field of communication, advertising, marketing, so everything to do with communication. But at the age of 32, actually the age of 30, I, I became a listener in a suicide prevention hotline. 
So I trained for one year, actually 10 months, to learn how to listen um, to people who are in distress. And um, it was fascinating for me because actually if I would have went to university, I would have, I would have been very puzzled between psychology and um, business marketing and communication. But I got actually the chance to, to do my, I, I used to say I did my own university, but practically with, with, with specific jobs. And um, mm-hmm. I, when I learned how to listen, it just um, resonated so strongly that that's what I needed when I was a kid. I, if I would have learned how to listen, how to connect with others and with myself, it would have been the, you know, my, my relationship to all the challenges I had as a kid and my relationship to studying and school would have been very different. So um, I, it, it became clear for me um, that um, I wanted to do something in my life around contributing to the evolution of of education um, so that the new generations don't just learn about all these outside things we learn at school or but but learn we also get the opportunity to learn about ourselves our emotions how we think how we interact the impact of our behavior and of course 30 years ago that was a wild dream because when we talk about the topics we talk about today uh, of listening, self-awareness, presence, in those days that was just considered as psychology. It, it, it wasn't mainstream mm-hmm. the way it is today. And I find it really inspiring to have the perspective of how the world has changed in, in the last 20 years. End of that, actually, it's, it's really, the, for me, there's been a big milestone in the hu- history of humanity at the end of the last century, which happened to be actually the, the beginning of a new millennium. And all this dimension of self-awareness is, is becoming um, so much more mainstream. So, so, but I didn't know then that two years later, so that was 94 when I was 32, that's when I, so I became volunteer listener at 30 and 32. Actually, the, the, the people at the head of this suicide prevention asked me if I, if I was interested in becoming the director. That for me was just wow. I, it, it, it had been a couple of years. I realized I didn't want to stay in the business sector. I wanted to do something which was more nourishing for me. Um, and um, being a school teacher could have been an option. Uh, but uh, becoming director of this center was just amazing because it was such a, I felt such an honor. That to to do that, you know, it was it was I was very humbled. So I actually became director of this center in Switzerland in '94, which I did for ten years. So I continued in parallel to be a volunteer, which I did mm. for seven years, and um, uh, I started a, a journey, which was amazing. And uh, yeah, so so in a, in a, in a nutshell. Um, a few years later, actually, I got involved in the International Federation, which is called IFOTES, which stands for International Federation of 
telephone emergency services. And what happened is actually um, uh, they they actually asked me if I was willing to become the president of this federation, which I accepted and did for 10 years between 2001 and 2010. So Mm. I really realized that what was fascinating for me was to discover that listening wasn't just primarily about listening to each other as human beings, but actually when you, when you at a certain level of leadership, there's another dimension to listening, which I call the systemic level of listening, which is your listening to systems. And I, what I discovered on it is that the more we learn how to listen to others, and we'll come back to that specifically listening to people we, with whom we disagree, because that's the key. We want to enhance our listening. Mm-hmm. We should practice listening to people with whom we disagree. And the more we do that as a leader, the more we actually learn how to listen to life, to listen to systems. And so listening is really about connecting to life. So to finish uh, these big milestones, I actually, when I left as a director of the center in Switzerland, which was in 2004, I created a company called People First, which, uh, and I, and I, did this in partnership with a, a woman, Christine Geritsen, who was very professional in, in project management, and where we discovered that actually uh, the biggest reason of failure of projects uh, is, well, when I say we discovered, it, it was well-known worldwide. They were saying that 80% of the failures of projects was, was because of communication, human communication. That became very clear uh, path to bring self-awareness into companies and businesses, not through saying you have to learn how to listen, because in those days it would have been yeah, yeah, but later. But if you want your projects to be successful, mm-hmm. let's give these communication skills to your managers, because that's what's going to help you succeed. And I did we had the chance to to be very successful very quickly and work with huge companies like Nestle, hospitals. And um, in 2000, and so maybe I'm going a bit too much into details, Amit, around uh, these milestones. Do you want me to continue and give the next two or three months? Maybe, maybe not. We'll we will we'll we'll find out. I think I, I trust your uh, I trust your discernment on, on the stuff. I, I think it's also fascinating too. One of the things that I kind of woke up to in in the course of our work with the Spirit of Humanity Forum is the um, how imprinted we are by the world that we live in, and and there's something around sort of the. I mean, it goes both ways. I think it's. I'm not saying that it's good or bad, but I I see that there was a there's an lack of knowledge in me around how it was to bring these topics into a world that didn't want to hear them or or just thought you were crazy or or like whatever I, I you know I, I don't know exactly where on the scale it landed but like where these topics were just irrelevant and and topics that you were deeply passionate about and in a way I see 
that pattern repeating itself in in myself as I as I do my work and I discover some of these like lenses that are a little bit more forward leaning or 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 not sort of part of the the mainstream narrative so to say and and yet at the same time I just um just to acknowledge how much of of the fundamental things uh, and and how much of the language that I've I'm able to just take for granted because of the work that you and others were doing you know 30 and 40 and 50 and 16 years you know whatever uh, ago uh, so so there's um sure i mean i you know i i don't know what what level of detail is appropriate but i do think that it's it's uh at the same time i think it's um useful for me and others that are trying to do and carry the torch so to say forward um to remember and and to uh, get a feeling for what has been yeah. as well so yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't need every every line of the cv and, and at the same time I, I trust what you feel is significant you know? yeah thank you i mean it's thank you it's it's um yeah what what i indeed find fascinating is to see how the collective awareness has evolved in the last 20 to 30 years to be where we are today and um so you know um end of last century which can seem very long way ago but it's not it's only 23 years ago that was the beginning of emotional intelligence with daniel goldman's book beginning of concepts like resilience it was really the opening up to to something which which is transforming humanity and it's true that um because i had that amazing opportunity in 92 to to learn how to listen not as a psychologist but as a human being who's just genuinely caring for someone else and learning to not give my opinions not give advice learning how to develop a communication and a relationship which is really about caring for the other because i had that great opportunity it shaped my life and it's true that what i've been doing these last 30 years it's what you were talking about it's about how to accompany the process of a collective awareness consciousness which is growing in society there's more and more awareness of what I call relational consciousness, which is about becoming aware of the impact of our behavior uh, on others, but also on ourselves and our environment. And we could talk more about that if you wanted, but maybe just to, to finish the big milestones is that, um, so I, and another amazing, so as you, if you're hearing, I had the opportunity to develop also these skills in a, in a leadership context when I was president of this federation and especially working with the World Health Organization because, you know, beginning of, uh, well, in the 2000s, this work we were doing, listening to people, and, you know, it's interesting to know that there's 100,000, over 100,000 people worldwide who are 24-7 listening for free to people, either through telephones or today with internet and uh but in those days that work was seen for some psychiatrists psychologists as maybe a bit threatening or not serious how could you offer such emotional support 
when you're not trained as a psychologist. And the work we did during these two, 10 years um, was to get credibility from the World Health Organization and in specifically the associations who are working in suicide prevention so that it's recognized that actually learning how to listen and to be and to care for others, you don't have to be a psychologist. We can all learn this. And um, tremendous work was done with the World Health Organization, and they actually co-sponsored a very, this was probably one of the biggest milestones afterwards of what I've been doing these last uh, 25 years, uh, or maybe, sorry, 15 years, 2007. It was initiating, so Education for Peace, which I created in 2002, and IFUTES, we we initiated the first world conference on the theme of emotional health. And WHO co-sponsored this event. So this this was really a a major milestone because um, it uh, well, first of all, gave, gave you know credibility of what we were doing, having the WHO recognize uh, that. Um, that, that we are serious enough to to organize a conference on this theme and them being behind. They invented the concept of mental health, the WHO. And it was very humble also, I find, of them, you know, being partners of a conference on uh, emotional health where they were not creating it, but they were actually um, co-sponsoring. And that was the milestone which led to the spirit of humanity and massive emotions in sports. Maybe, maybe talk about, um, let's go the sports, sports route first, because that's, um, I'm just following my own curiosity here because I, the spirit of humanity, I have a little bit more feeling for, um, and, and I'm very curious about also this, um, bringing these types of topics into different contexts where uh, maybe the, the sort of I, my projection is that the sort of the baseline or my experience from playing sports as well has been that maybe those topics don't normally come up uh, explicitly in that context. Um, and these topics of listening and leadership and so forth, like there's a, and, and maybe self-awareness even, I mean, it's not so uh, mm. sports, the way that they work and, and the way that I perceive them is, you know, it's more like an ego factory than, than anything else, <laughs> given how we, how we talk about it. And then there are these like breakthrough moments and leaderships, leaders and trainers and coaches that are able to do something different. It seems like in, in a different order of efficiency. And it seems to also, when you read a bit more, it seems to maybe have something to do with listening and, and a different way of relating to the world. Um, but I'm, I'm just curious about how, how did you come to the sports uh, arena and and how yeah yeah what what is it um what is the work that you're doing there now yeah i like what you're saying i mean because um actually i had no idea i would work in sports and and i really believe it's because i've learned how to listen to life uh that i i allowed it to come to me because i wasn't trying to control everything and um, so what happened was that from 2002 to 2007, Education for Peace, so it's a Swiss nonprofit foundation, uh, 
what was its vision was really to contribute to the evolution of education for the new generations, bringing self-awareness and listening and emotional skills into the curriculum schools. And fundamentally, the dream is having teachers in schools when they learn how to become teachers, they don't just learn about this topic, but just as importantly, they learn how to be. They learn how to be with themselves and with the with children, with youth, because we know today how, you know, how it impacts the process of learning. But actually, in 2006, so then I was uh, running this company, People First, working with big companies. And one of my clients was the UEFA, the Union of European Football Association. Mm. And I was working as an executive coach. Um, they, they, they had some challenges with big IT changes, and there was some resistance from the from directors. So I was working on the human dimension of all this change. And that's when we were organizing this conference in Italy on the theme of emotional health. I was looking for money to organize this conference. And I thought, well, why, why not the UEFA? Emotions, football? And the first response was, oh, no, emotions, it's not our field. You know, it's, it's the field of science. This is only 2006. Yeah. And, you know, uh, life put on my journey two directors, director of communication, direct technical director, who could really refer how this was football had something so important to contribute to. So they actually did finally give some money. We did organize this conference, thank also to their support. And in 2006, something happened. Those who know football may remember that Zinedine Zidane did his headbutt in the World Cup uh, in front of the Italian player Materazzi. And the UFA had already been talking to me in those days that their big challenge was violence in football. It was increasing, and they were telling me, this is not our business. We don't know what to do. Our business is football. And when Zidane did his headbutt, uh, you know, that sometimes thing hap things happen in life which is are completely you can't explain rationally, but I can assure you, Emmett, that in a few seconds I had a download. I just knew what I would be doing the next years because of his headbutt, and I observed the reaction of people, including media and all the people around me and politics. I could see that actually everybody was just reacting and giving their opinion and point of views, no compassion. No interest in, well, wow, what happened to him? It was all just judgment pouring out, you know? And that really strikes me. And the second thing was, wow, a man who was so loved by millions of children, who was such a kind man, to be able to see, to witness that he can actually lose it is an amazing opportunity to bring this forward, that we all carry potential violence in us. So it's all of our, it's all of our responsibility to get to know ourselves and to, so I saw it as a beautiful gateway to work around this topic of self-awareness and listening in, in football. And actually after the conference, they, they asked me if um, I would be interested in working with them through their social responsibility department to diminish violence in football. Mm. And uh, for me, it was a huge shift because I was working only on schools. You know, I was really working on how to bring this in the school system. And I was struggling with all the 
politics and how difficult it was to bring new topics into schools. But there suddenly I thought, wow, we have, we have ambassadors who are loved by millions of children. Children and youth listen to these people more than politicians or even parents. And, uh, and emotions is just part of sports. It's about winning, losing, you know, being joyful, being sad. And it's about relationships. So suddenly it occurred to me that actually this is an amazing, powerful opportunity to, to bring this topic through sports. Uh, so that's how it started. And with the a few key ideas, one was let's take champions who have lost it, just like Zidane. But actually, who with some time are able to reflect on what they learned about themselves, how they've managed to change actually their behavior and uh, bring more awareness in, in their way of being. And let's bring this forward to the new champions, mm. whether they're players or coaches, mm. to bring the message we are all, even the biggest champions you think of, we are all on this journey to learn about ourselves. And when we fall down, we can stand up, we can learn, and we can continue. That was one of the core uh, messages in, in the program. I'm hearing two things that I'm, I'm just like, that resonate so strongly. One, one thing I love, I love how you say that, um, we're we're in the business of sports. We're not in the business of emotions. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? Like, isn't that like it? I mean, if I look around me, with especially with the the men, how they interact with like they're they're that's like the one the single time that I that it's fine for them to be emotional and sad and angry and like all of, like you know it, it's really a, a this wonderful channel for for being emotional. So so I thought that was. Interesting, and then there's another aspect which I, I, um, because of the way that these, if we fast forward to now, and I mean my being from Sweden, so I follow what's going on there, and then we have this discussion there now about sort of putting mental health on the schedule, like on the in, into the curriculum of the uh, of the schools. Mm -hmm. And on one end, I think it's it's wonderful. On the other end, um, what I'm kind of perceiving from you and what I'm feeling myself is that it's, it's, um, it becomes very strange when we separate this, uh, from something, when, when we make it a single focal point rather than just a part of who we are and, and the way that we are and operate in the world, that is just part of the fundamental aspects of being human. And it should permeate everything. Uh, you know, when, when we separate it and make it into a certain thing, um, I, I kind of perceive a little bit of a risk there and, and, it sounds like when you've been working with these champions, it wasn't about that topic particularly, but it was always how it feeds into this larger picture of who they are, who they become, what's possible kind of. Um, and I don't know if I'm projecting onto that surface, but, but uh, I'm curious to hear some more about that sort of separation versus integration aspect in, in your work. Yeah. Well, what you, what you share, what resonates for me, Anit, is that, you know, the challenge when you have a vision of a potential, it's to come back and take consideration of the reality in which we are. And then specifically, 
what's what's the mainstream reality in terms of people awareness and consciousness we can't there's the saying you know we can't go faster than the wind which means actually we can't go faster than people are prepared to go and um i i'm a believer that um our language manifests our consciousness when you enter a room and you're angry you're going to have another language than when you're at peace or happy so so when we understand that our language manifests our awareness and consciousness it gives us a huge indicator which is i can actually work on my consciousness and awareness by modifying my language so the beauty is that learning how to listen actually brings us at one point to become more aware of how we are communicating what words what language am i using and is the language i'm using authentic and inclusive or am i just bringing my point of views and trying to convince people so um what what's i find very important is to really you know adapt and connect with the people with whom we're working so they find the path which is meaningful for them and you know it's true that in 2006 2007 the word emotions wasn't at all the same word as today in people's mind you know it was like it's psychology it's not today it's become mainstream we we teach kids learn about emotions when they're 4 years old in schools i mean that was a dream 20 years ago so it's really shaping the future of humanity in terms of our beingness learning how to be an even oh those socrates talked about self awareness 2000 years ago we are in a different space of consciousness in terms of spreading uh this different way of being um using the the la- a language which actually allows people to be inspired for them to learn more mm-hmm. about themselves and how they can improve their listening their presence is 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 a key in sports has that power you know what one of the one of the someone who inspired me a lot is Nelson Mandela what he did with the what you can see in the film Invictus where he learned how to listen to deeply listen to his opponents when he was in prison he learned how to listen to his cellkeepers to to become genuinely curious and interested in them as human beings who are you you who put me in jail you know and uh, and he read about the poetry the literature and um that compassion he developed uh really is something you can see particularly in that film invictus that he brought that human quality as a leader into his presidency as president of south africa and uh, managed to bring the black and the whites together in a way which nobody would have even dreamed dreamed of and he did it through sports he did it through sports and mm-hmm. sports has that power to to change the world um mm. there's something here 
mm, around I'm I'm kind of hearing you speak to the um, some sort of a, a focus on what the what the project is or 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 so to say like there's a way to be caught by language because language because language it's like it it, it can become this sort of self um fulfilling loop or or something like that as long as i just say the right things but then what i'm hearing you speak to is that you you said that you work on consciousness through language which is then it, it becomes like a portal and and so therefore you can meet people where they are in their language and then gradually sort of mm, i don't know work with it but but it it mm, that's what I've felt from you from this, like there's a, also in the spirit of humanity work, there is that bridge building in a way, like it's, it's different enough that we have to relate to the language in maybe a new way, or like it has to, we have to listen to it or it invites us to listen to it in a different way than we are used to. And, and at the same time, the project is about the, the consciousness, what, what we are um, hoping to to address or, or relate with or, or come into contact with is, is the consciousness of the other person, not in order to anything, uh, just, just to connect with it. Um, and I, I don't know if that resonates in any way, but um, how, how would you further, if you would, yeah, keep, keep, <laughs> keep talking about that. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Is that, is that a right? Yeah. Am I hearing you? <laughs> You're hearing me, Amit, for sure. Uh, yeah, the, the, there's a yeah, there's indeed several layers. But um, uh, going back to the language, um, you know, when we start to be careful of the language we're using, it requires to bring clarity first of all on our intentions. And the moment we have an intention of caring for others, respecting others, and wanting to stay connected with others despite what we have to share with them, uh, meaning that when we have difficult things to say to other people, if our intention always stays whatever, that I want to stay connected with the other, it develops the awareness of you know how quickly, if we're not careful, we can separate or divide because we want to be right or we want to prove that we know more than the other. So if we could keep that quality of intention, of connecting, connection, we can start working on our language with ourselves. Because before words come out of the mouth, they first come through our own mind without even opening our mouth. And we can actually, and we know this today with mindfulness and meditation, and uh, we can actually influence the thoughts we have, in other words, the quality of the thinking and the words I allow, and starting to bring discernment around what language am I allowing to come through my mind to myself and putting that together with the values I'm trying to serve in life. That's already the first dimension of becoming aware of my own language with myself. And that's where I can do my first personal transformation is to really work on this notion of language, my language, myself, and my intentions, the values I'm trying to bring forward in my life and my projects. And then 
Of course, it takes time. But the moment we have the intention to do that, we start the process. Then we start to become more aware of the impacts of our language on others. And, um, you know, I since 15 years now, I've been having this vision of um, re- what I call relational consciousness. And I give a very simple definition, which is, the, and I'll give it by three simple steps. The first one is it's the impact of our behavior on others. That's the first impact that everybody can understand and every leader or parent should be interested in developing, knowing we have impact on others and we should maybe start listening to that. Of course, that's the door to self-awareness. The other definition a bit further I give is it's starting to observe which means without judging, just trying to see things as they are, the impact of my behavior, not just on others, actually on myself as well, and on my environment, because our our behavior has that impact on those three levels, others, ourselves, and the environment. The third space uh, depth of explaining relational consciousness is, so it's observing the impact of my behavior which has two dimensions an inner dimension and an outer dimension my inner dimension is my thinking and my emotions and the outer dimension is my thoughts and my my words so the full definition is putting energy in observing the impact of our my my thinking my emotions my words and my acts on others, on myself, and on the environment. And I believe that you know, if we bring our attention, if we care for that during a life, because we will learn until our last breath if that's, if that's where we, our intention is. It's not a space where you learn and get a diploma and you, you've done it. It's, it's a journey, which is a life journey. And I believe that if we put our attention there uh, with clarity of our intention towards life and others, it's that that's the space where we can uh, learn to know about ourselves i i really like that framework because i'm also hearing that there's no for me it was liberating that uh, there was no and then this and this happens or and then other people change like there there's no instrument it's it's just that observation of this space. And to me, that sounds so true because I've over the past like seven years since I've consciously been on this journey of, of deepening my own exploration and, and understanding myself and, and like looking at those patterns and so forth. It is, it's really been to just be with them and then things start to happen differently. And, uh, of, I long sometimes to understand <laughs> how that is. Um, but I, I also know humbly that um, I don't. And, and all of the explanations that I get when I read things that are claimed to have understood, I, I always see that little skip between problem and so there, there's a problem description, there's a solution description, but how it actually happens, I don't know. So I'm, 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 I'm so grateful to hear you speak of that as a as a state, it's like a continuous deepening or something like that, but it's not in order to anything. It's just 
It's just observing. And, uh, mm. Well, you know, thank you for sharing that because um, I can hear that you are uh, connecting to um, this uh, understanding, which is a different form of understanding than what we've learned at school, which is usually when we talk about understanding, there's a, there's a rational level where it makes sense and it has purpose and we yeah. suddenly are reassured because it, it, yeah, it settles. But actually, indeed, this has to do with another dimension of understanding, which is more about um, sensing and trusting something which I live as deeper because I go beyond that mind which needs to be reassured by conclusions. Now, when you think about it, we, we have the education we've received, especially through school, but even in, in our work, it's, it's kind of giving us the message that if you come with a good, intelligent, and sure conclusion, that, that's the right way. That's how you get your exams. That's how you get you pass tests. That's how you... But actually, it actually creates uh, blind spots and it actually creates attachments. And uh, I love the idea of learning without conclusion. When we learn without conclusion, we can embrace what is now, consider it makes sense now, and it's meaningful now, but we stay open. Let's stay open to what's going to happen because there's another dimension which is asking for liveliness, for movement. Of course, it requires deep work because it requires finding trust within us in another space than what we've been taught. And, and I wanted to bring in what you were speaking to initially about violence as well here. Um, because I think that's, that's such a, I, roughly here, I think we're also finding almost, or for me, it's a, it's a new discovery of what violence is. I mean, it's not just punching somebody or just, you know, it, it doesn't, that's not only, that's not the only violence that there is, but but also this, what you're speaking to, like this openness and this not having to move someone else uh, in a particular direction, but just being in that open, listening, understanding, caring, um, having that stance uh, as an in itself, as an, as an end in itself, so to say. Um, I think that, for me at least, is a different way of understanding peace. And it's a different way of understanding violence um, when we when we imbue it with that meaning. Uh, yeah, you know what I what I discovered through my journey of developing more inner peace within me is that um, with the aspiration of a more peaceful world, the first step is starting inside of ourselves. So it's like Gandhi said, you know, be. Uh, be the world you want to see or what you want to live in. So, so that's, of course, the first journey is to really discover how we can enhance our inner peace. And, um, and so 
but but there's a next step which I think is very important, and I and I think that I, I think I hope I wish I aspire that with this new era we're entering, where there's more self awareness, which we will develop more collectively. Which is okay if I've developed more inner peace. The next step is how do I respond to outside violence? What what's my relationship to outside violence? Because that's how we actually learn how to put it in practice. The first is we need to put it in practice with ourselves. But inevitably, you know, that there's a there's a moment where we're gonna live violence, whether it's insults, where there's people judging, or whether it's physical violence. But violence is very subtle, you know, just judging ourselves is violence. How many depressions and burnouts are not happening because of inner violence, what we're doing with our minds, what we're letting our minds do with us, we should say. So what's important there, I believe, is to start to explore how we can um, connect with violence. And I, so my, my understanding is that the first level is to have discernment whether the level of danger, if, if there's a need for protection or not. And I think that most of the violence in our society probably is just around, you know, taking things personally or, or, or judging ourselves or receiving what other people are saying about us. I think that's a good start place to start. And um, of course, if it's violence where we need to protect ourselves, that's the first urgency. And I and I actually used to say that I say used to say that a lot to the UFR when we were talking about violence prevention, was really having discernment between prevention and education. When prevention is needed, don't think mm. about education. It's not possible. We need safety. We need to, and it's the same whether it's groups or whether it's for ourselves. When when with you know, in, in front of violence. But when we realize that actually we can stay connected to people who are insulting us, blaming us, or being victims of, then we can start to realize that we can be in a way of our attitude, of our way of thinking, and again, language we're using, which actually can offer opportunities for other, others to to discover other pathways which can actually allow them to be more peaceful with themselves. And if we learn how to do that in a humble way, where we're not trying to bring any lesson, but we're just being ourselves uh, and accepting the other will take whatever is right or not for them, uh, many seeds can be planted. But people need to feel that they stay empowered with themselves to change. Mm. I, I want to, I'm looking at the time, and, and sometimes uh, time is tricky, uh, but I, I would love to invite you to, you're, you're uh, coming up to something which is a, which is a very exciting um, milestone, perhaps, uh, in, in your career and in, in your work with the sports. Uh, associations and I, I would love to um, just bring that in 
and, and let you presence that in whatever way you see fit uh, in this conversation. Yeah, I think I'd love to do that. Um, uh, maybe just a, 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 just a few words of background, which is that this program, Master of Emotions, which I've been running in sports since 2007, so it's been over 15 years, has led to be uh, a book called Master of Emotions, uh, which is used now by many coaches, uh, uh, which is a book about self-awareness, learning how to listen in a very um, easy way. It can be read by teenagers or coaches who are 60 years old and have never done self-awareness. There are lots of testimonials of famous players, coaches, and it's been translated in five languages. So, so I, that was done in Europe uh, with UEFA, with, uh, with national federations, I nearly stopped actually in 2019, just before COVID, because I was thinking that I had done a lot of the, you know, the first seeds work, where now main, it was becoming much more mainstream, self-awareness and, and the education of coaches. But actually, I was contacted by the Asian Football Confederation, AFC, which is the equivalent of UEFA, but in Asia. They have 47 country members. And in there, there's China, there's India, there's Japan, Korea. Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Australia, so many amazing countries where there's a beautiful diversity of culture. Um, and um, they asked me if I could help them continue this work in Asia. And our book has now been translated in Japanese. Um, and uh, this, this milestone coming up indeed is beginning of October for the very first time in the history not only in, of Asian football, but football worldwide, what I understand is that they are bringing all the presidents of these national federations together, not to what they usually do, which is usually they get together, you know, to, for general assemblies and voting, but they're bringing them together around, uh, with the general secretaries for a kind of a, you know, a conference, a workshop and to work on the theme of leadership. And uh, I, I have the really the amazing privilege and honor to, to, to be one of the guest speakers and to bring this dimension of presence and listening to these powerful leaders. Um, and uh, so it's not just going to be a talk because I rarely do um, never do just talks. I always, I, I need interactivity with people. And so they're going to actually be, they're going to be practicing active listening and empathy with their colleagues. Uh, so that's, yeah, I'm looking very much forward to that. <laughs> it's like the, that, um, you know, one, one small step for, for man, but a huge step for mankind um, comes up in my, in my mind. I, I think it's it's back to something that you were, you know, when you made that little pause in, in the chronology of things and, and you were asking, is this useful? And I was, you know, there is that, um, it's so, on one end, you're just like, of course. <laughs> and on the other end, given the entire arc that we've been exploring now of the work that you've been doing, um, 
there's nothing here that was sort of predetermined. I mean, it's it's amazing. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment to celebrate uh, that um, these uh, topics and these aspects and, and people like you are in these rooms. Um, well, thank you. I, again, you know, I love your reflection because indeed it does highlight that amazing things happen in life which we just can't predict and control. And uh, it's true that I had, I mean, no idea that this would be possible. I, I was in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur in May, giving a conference, a workshop to the technical directors. And that's where the general secretary identified what I was doing. And he said, well, I'd love you to do this with the presidents. And, and I could have never dreamt of that. So I find it, you know, indeed, and I can see the way I'm preparing myself to this conference. It's also requiring me to surrender, to, to, to stop trying to control things. Of course, you know, I have to prepare myself as well as possible, but then there's a dimension of surrendering and just trusting, uh, trusting life. And, and that when we're in that state of receptivity and faith, I like, I talk about trust and faith. It's really for me faith. Uh, we allow life actually to manifest in a way that we just, as human beings, can't. Um, it's far beyond us. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I have this inclination to also bring in the spirit of humanity forum, and I'm looking at the time, and I'm thinking we're not going to be able to do it justice. Um, well, I'm, I'm just going to leave that as an open thread and, and also and say, is there something else that you would like to say right now? Or like just knowing that, just saying that we've only explored at least like one of the main, like one of, one of the branches on, on the tree that is, that is Mark Milton <laughs> in this conversation. Um, but is there something else that you would like to bring in or, or that, that, you know, you feel warrants that needs presencing in, in this uh, context before we round off. Mm. Well, I, I would love to just say a few words about the spirit of humanity to honor this amazing project, which has been, you know, an amazing, mm. as you mentioned it at the beginning, co-creative space. And, um, uh, which started, you know, also 15 years ago where the first seeds were planted and uh, with our, at the beginning, you know, there was the Brahma Kumaris and Education for Peace and then it just grew. And today we're partners with the, the city of uh, Reykjavik in Iceland. The, the president of Iceland has always been at all of our openings. Um, mm. we've had the prime minister as well. And, and, um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I want to maybe take this opportunity to, to honor the, the amazing journey we've gone through. Uh, because again, you know, in 2008, talking about spirituality was a no, no, you know, it was, you, you it just wasn't possible. Or you could have, but you would have closed just so many doors. So the theme of spirit of humanity, of course, allows to, to bring the word spirit in it. 
but especially you know bringing these leaders from all over the world who are not just in politics or economy but environment education science uh, to to not just talk about deep values but also share how they very practically put them in practice and most of all their personal transformation is uh, is has been an amazing journey and i think maybe i don't know if you can do that want to put the link of the prime minister uh, talk because uh, now we've got the authorization to 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 launch it it was at the beginning only for the guests mm-hmm. but um yeah it it's been an amazing human journey with all of the partners and friends but also a beautiful i want to say spiritual journey because we've been listening we've been very careful listening to each other that you've discovered how we care for each other and it, of course the big challenge it brings another pace with which some people can get quite impatient because they think now we have to be efficient now let's take the decisions and uh, here we allow a space for life to manifest itself and and I'm I'm deeply grateful for that work we we've been doing in the spirit of humanity and maybe there'll be another opportunity to talk more about it or with some of your other guests uh, or people who have been involved yeah, in the spirit of humanity and uh, maybe it's also an opportunity to say how grateful I am for the, your contribution in, uh, in in the last spirit of humanity in Iceland. So mm. It was a huge pleasure for me to work with you, Emmett. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll put the link as well to the to the the, the talk as you mentioned, but also the um, just a page for for spirit of humanity in this in the show notes. And are there any other links uh, where people can reach out to you or where you would like, where they can follow your work or, or if they would want to work with you, uh, that you would direct people to? Yeah, thank you. Well, there's the, um, the link of the foundation, which is www.e4p.org, which stands for Education for Peace, the number four, e4p.org. Uh, I guess... You could maybe put my LinkedIn link. I I must between us. I'm not at all on social media, <laughs> so but but I have people around me saying at least go to Instagram. So I'm I'm cons- I'm reconsidering <laughs> because of this conference in in October. I am reconsidering if I shouldn't do more and find a peaceful way <laughs> to be on social media because that's one of my ways of cultivating my inner peace is not to be on social media. <laughs> So I have to see if it's both are compatible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so so probably you know uh, those two would. Um, and if anybody's interested in this book, Master of Your Emotions, you can find it through the E4P websites or a specific website mm-hmm. for it is e4peditions.org. So I could send you these three uh, mm. links. Thank you. Great. I really appreciate you taking the time to to have this conversation in this form and I'm looking forward to talk to you soon in, in other, other shapes and forms. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Amit. I also really appreciated sharing this with you and the quality of your listening and uh, presence and, uh, and thank you for you know, the opportunity to share this also with your, your audience. Mm-hmm.